during the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you, know, you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and and, and very kind. This is the Power of X Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. Welcome to Power of X Men's WandaVision coverage. I'm so excited to talk about episode eight of WandaVision, which is titled Previously On, but I'm even more excited to talk about it with our guest tonight. First up, our returning guest host who has been with us for all eight episodes of WandaVision thus far. He is like a liar at a witch trial. It's Nightfall. (laughs) Hi, I'm your favorite SUV with great mileage and magical leather seats that keep you grounded in reality, (laughs) Honda Maximoff. (laughs) we have to talk about her car i love that it was red (laughs) and for the first time ever i am so excited to introduce our special guest to talk about episode eight i have been following him since i started this podcast back in october his cosplay is next level i am so happy to have geeky jp And his real name is James, and James is an amateur cosplayer, which you wouldn't even think he's amateur if you've seen his work on his Insta feed. But he is also a comics, science fiction, and fantasy super fan. You can find him sharing photos of his exploits and strong opinions, and they are strong AF, at GeekyJP on Instagram. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to finally talk to you because I feel like we DM, but we DM mostly about your deep cuts on Wanda. (laughs) (laughs) So deep. Drawing blood. (laughs) You are drawing blood. So I just, I want to get to know you before we talk about this fantastic WandaVision episode. So my first question for you, and we asked this of all of our guests, what's your first like earliest memory of the X-Men? I had to go back and check dates because I like to be accurate. Um, And I'm pretty sure for me, it was actually the original Toy Biz line was the first time I encountered the X-Men. So that was 1991 when you have the blue and white X-Factor Cyclops and Storm in her black leather getup and uh, golden orange Wolverine. Um, And I don't know, something about them really spoke to me. I only knew what they looked like and a little bit of information each came with a trading card so you could read about you know storm controls the weather that sort of thing um but i was hooked and then once the arcade game rolled out and i found pride of the x-men in blockbuster and then the animated series finally came out in 1993 i was so hooked and my dad was finally like okay i guess i have to take this kid to a comic book store I had the same thing growing up. I talk about this all the time. The 94 Fleer Ultra cards, they like sparked a fire within me. 
And I remember holding that rogue one that my primo Roy gave me. And it talked about how her name was unrevealed. And my mind was blown. I was like, how is her name unrevealed? I need to know this. And it's like, I pulled a thread, you know, <laughs> and, and kids today have it so easy because you now you, you hear about storms, you can control the weather. You're like Wikipedia. And then you have her whole history there, or you go to uncannyxmen.net. And at the time in the nineties, you didn't have that gift. You had to actually go search this information through stacks of comic books at your local comic book store. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget Blockbuster and how great that was. Remember when we would just go and like get all, we would get a lot of X-Men stuff from there too, like video games and the shows and movies. I found the repaint wave with Elektra and a yellow and blue Tiger Strike Wolverine. It was just a repaint of the Light Up series. And I remember seeing Elektra there at Blockbuster. Blockbuster was like the epicenter of the universe on like Friday nights. Totally. I miss Blockbuster so much. And Nightfall, dad would take me to Papa John's. We'd order the pizza yeah, yeah. 15 minutes and we have to go there. And I remember always looking for Sailor Moon VHSs, whatever anime. I think Project Echo, which I exposed you to, mm. was there too. And Ray Earth. And it was such a great time. It was such a... I miss the 90s. I'm like, this whole thing in quarantine right now, I'm just so nostalgic for the, the good old days. All right, Gigi JP, my next question for you is, who is your favorite X-Man? Um, I kind of want to say Wanda, even though she's technically never <laughs> been on one of the teams, but she is my favorite of the older Marvel characters. Um, but if it has to be actually an X-Man, then I would default to Jean Grey. Um, yes! I'm a Jean Grey super stan. And <laughs> I think she has a lot of parallels with Wanda Maximoff, actually. They both occupy that sort of team heart role they're both very emotional and their characterization is always about their feelings and uh, how they relate to the feelings of other people Um, and I also feel that they all have that unfortunate trend of being kind of underwritten a little they're more the second string characters the indoor recess sort of girls less action oriented than the rest of the team And then they also have that aspect of the unfortunate hysterical woman trope where despite being kept back a little, they're the most powerful. um, That runs into some unfortunate ideas of, well, if they're emotional and powerful, then that has to go wrong somehow. I think we're really just starting to turn a page with maybe WandaVision as an example of, we won't necessarily be looking at those emotions as problematic, but more as something that people need to be in touch with and informed by. Well, it's so funny that you said that because I thought a big turning page for female power and representation was Phoenix Ensong, specifically number five, where Jean becomes one with the Phoenix and she has to go off and find all her pieces. And we saw the seeds for that planted during Morrison, where the Phoenix wasn't corrupting Jean. It was just lifting her up to godhood. And the more she was becoming a god, she was losing touch with her humanity. In contrast, you had Cyclops, who was becoming more human after being this like stiff, you know, person his entire life. And, you know, he was possessed by apocalypse and he was finally able to experience those emotions. And he went to the most vulnerable, emotional person in Xavier's Institute, which was Emma. And that's the beauty of Emma. Emma comes across as a cold hearted character, but she's actually deep caring and feeling. So when Gina sends into the white hot room, she has... She's above her emotions. She's fully in control. She's white Phoenix. And she understands why these two need to be put together. 
And then when she comes back in Endsong, it's all about finding her her pieces. And everyone thinks that Dark Phoenix is a monster, that she is going to be corrupted again. And no, she was just longing to be home. And I love that idea because I agree with you. And I wrote about this in one of my classes in college. I was a feminist minor, that the Phoenix you know, was emblematic of female power. And then of course, because she's a woman and she has emotions, it has to go wrong. And, you know, it, it was just so insulting. And I think back, like, I think if I was a little girl growing up reading stories like this, when you have characters like Thor and Galactus who can go around and do whatever mayhem they want and with no consequences, mm -hmm. but Jean has to suffer the consequences. Absolutely. Fucking not. Yeah. I, uh, I love what you brought up about the fact that like, this is WandaVision's kind of telling this story in a different light and it's really giving her, her time to shine. We, I mean, we've talked about the fact that like her story is very uh, sorted and a little weird in the comics because of how much retconning and just redirection of what they wanted to prioritize her personality or how she kind of processed a lot of the trauma she's experienced. Um, there was a lot of moments. I have to say, I, I literally cried at one moment during this episode because of like, you could feel just how, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen is amazing. First of all, in her She's acting a great actress yeah. mm -hmm. but the the way she conveys wanda's trauma it, it's very much like what we're talking about it's like it's not I, I for again i mentioned this in a prior episode but i forgot who said it was that they didn't want to tell the same type of story of this like traumatized you know um troubled woman they tried to tell it in a much more positive light and honoring kind of what happens to these individuals that deal with really awful experiences so i'm very much i i've been so happy with how they've handled it and giving wanda kind of a great story really yeah. everyone's talking about her and that's honestly such a weird thing to think even two years ago when you know we saw vision and wanda together and we're like oh my god house of m is gonna happen all these great <laughs> things are gonna happen now and like no one else cared they're like what who cares now everyone's talking about it and it's amazing um and much to being an antithesis today spring i have a question for you who's your sure. least favorite x-men um, I had to think a long time about that because I say beast to a degree. Anyone <laughs> other than Jean is sort of disposable to a degree. I would keep Storm in a heartbeat, definitely. But outside of Jean and Storm, I lose interest rapidly. But I think if I had to pick the worst, I would go with Xavier. Um, Professor Xavier is a jerk. Um, <laughs> He has this really deceptive dichotomy where he's propped up as like this great wise leader who has the dream. But I think the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. comparison doesn't really fit Xavier. I would position him more as sort of the position of the cishet white male authority figure who sort of co-ops the movement and pushes yeah. it in directions that suit them versus the other people. And I think that's a tension that Hickman is deliberately playing with in Krakoa where we see you know, Xavier assembles his council, which is not really a representative body. Um, they don't really practice justice in a way we would necessarily recognize it. And um, especially as someone who feels very defensive of Wanda, I feel a certain degree of offense, which I think Hickman intends that she's the pretender, but Apocalypse and M-Plate and Selene and all these people who've done terrible things are just immediately left back and given amnesty, but with no real restorative justice or repentance. And even people who have been directly traumatized by them are just expected to 
be okay. Yeah, well, we saw that with Madeline Pryor as well, where they refused to resurrect her because she's a clone. And then later in New Mutants, we find out it's because she did bad things. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? You have Apocalypse and Mystique on the council. <laughs> you have Sinister, who literally just killed the entire team when they were coming back from Otherworld. And I agree wholeheartedly with you about Xavier. I, you know, the dichotomy in Magneto and Xavier's ideology was fine when you're digesting these stories of otherness growing up, you know, at a certain time period in your life. And for me, it was the late 80s, early 90s. But now looking back on it as an adult, I find it so insulting that Xavier was making these adults stay at a school and save people who are creating legislation to put them in concentration camps. And it's less about doing what's right and more about making people who are severely traumatized have to play with their oppressors and sort of live in their world instead of someone like Magneto who was all about torching down this government and radicalizing a movement and restarting things from the ground up because he saw firsthand what it did. And I guess, you know, that that's sort of why Magneto has a lot of pathos and why we're sympathetic to him, you know, as a villain. But yeah, man, I, I look back on like Xavier and I'd be like, I would be on the Brotherhood <laughs> if I could go back in time. All right. So my next question for you is, what is your favorite crossover, X crossover? Within the X-Men, I think it would be Extinction Agenda. Um, that was the first one where I came late to comics. Like I said, it was the animated series that really sort of galvanized me to get into the shop. And so um, that was the first one I found like a bound omnibus, here's the actual story. And I was so excited about that. And as a Jean Stan, I think it, despite her not really being a main character, it has some very strong moments. I love every moment she spends with Aurora, both the danger room scene and the scene where they just get to sit in a coffee shop and talk. I want that so much in current <laughs> comics. Um, I really loved the bit where you get to see her struggle with that attraction to Wolverine. And then the, uh, I think it was the final battle where Jean and Aurora are teamed up against Hodge and really sort of kicking his ass. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. And also then on a deeper level, I think Extinction Agenda is where I really started to wake up to more of the allegory going on in X-Men and that comparison of Genosha being an apartheid state and truly directly oppressing people in this extreme way. Um, it was not something I was used to in other media at the time. It seemed so much deeper and more profound to me. That era of comics was just so wonderful. And it's, I think it was awakening for a lot of people. The animated series, I love Gene in it as well. And we were talking with the Lee Walls and Larry Houston and Gene, have you read their books by the way? No. Did they, they talk about how initially Gene was supposed to be like a tier like three character, just like a background character that like spoke occasionally. But the more they were developing the stories and the scripts, Gene just sort of was fleshed out a little bit more. And the reason why they gave her a ponytail was because she was supposed to be the girl next door that everyone could talk to. And they, you know, in, in, in the episode we have with them, they talk about how you wouldn't put Storm in a ponytail, even though they did. And even though Storm has worn a high pony many times in the comics, 
But I understand what they were trying to elucidate, which is Storm is a very regal, you know, character. Jean having a ponytail made her more of a, a figure that like a big sister figure people can go talk to. Mm-hmm. And I love the relationship with Jean and Storm. That's something the movies lacked big time. I mean, we kind of got a glimpse of it in X2, but people forget that Jean and Storm should be sisters. I mean, that's mm-hmm. their relationship and it doesn't always translate into other media, but yeah, Extinction Agenda is one of the best stories. I just love it so much. I think maybe for, I'm going to put it to vote, but I would love for that to be the next book club pick for us. Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to actually ask, so I've seen a lot of your cosplay stuff. So what has been your favorite character to cosplay? You've done quite a few, actually. Yeah, I went through a period in my life where I felt like I had to put childish things behind me and be more straight-laced and normal. And so at a certain point, that became very unsatisfying. And so I broke into cosplay wanting to do everything. It's a bit of a moving target to pick a favorite, but I mean, I am extremely excited about my Wiccan cosplay that I'm working on right now. Um, So good. It was a magical moment for me to open up Young Avengers in 2005 and start reading that story because I always, you know, empathized with Jean and Wanda, but they weren't really representing me directly the way I felt like I could just point to the page and say, oh, Billy, that's, that's me right there. Um, He just has so many wonderful qualities. I think he's one of the first Marvel characters who's a male that shows the same sort of emotional vulnerability and sensitivity that I love in Gene and Wanda. And then just other little things like he's a gay geek and he gets bullied and he has depression and anxiety. But he overall with Teddy represents this wonderful it gets better message of hope and empowerment and the way they don't have parents who hate them (laughs) was I think a wonderful touch Um, for them to have a coming out scene that was just loving and accepting was wonderful and I love him Um, and I love the costume as well it's (laughs) compared to some of my other cosplay choices it's really nice to be able to zip up and be ready to go and fully covered and not have to do body paint or worry about a wardrobe malfunction or um, people policing what you're wearing necessarily (laughs) and the rhinestones and the cape are just so fun yeah, how did you put that together? It's such a beautiful costume. Thank you. Um, I had a custom pattern file made for me by Cyan Man Designs. Um, he's a great artist to work with. And then um, I watched a bunch of Dance Mom videos, actually, on how <laughs> to rhinestone spandex. Uh, and you really? Did you really? Well, they are the experts of rhinestones and spandex. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I've never seen Dance Mom before. Well, I mean, on YouTube, not the television show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean literal dance mom. Okay, I'm sorry. They were talking about you watch the show. (laughs) I was like, I I had no idea. Abby Lee Miller here to tell you how to rhinestone your cat suit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's it's so funny. I've done a lot of like drag cons and I've helped a lot of drag queens and I can't begin to tell you how commonplace it is for me to just see rhinestones on spandex, tights, whatever, like anything that you can imagine. I know so many friends that have worked with Queens where they're like, oh, we, you know, we were helping her out. We like rhinestone her entire like cat suit outfit. I was like, kudos to the people that can do that. Cause uh, for my graduation, I tried rhinestoning my platform shoes for college. Oh my and- God. 
<laughs> Kiki not, JP, not you know. don't understand. It was platforms like this <laughs> drenched, drenched in red glitter. Well, so spoiler alert, I oh, couldn't sorry. rhinestone it. So I give I give a lot of props to you and many individuals who can rhinestone their things. I just don't like my fingers. It just literally, they the glitter, the sparkles, everything just goes flying. So I got frustrated. So I just got Maj Paj glued, put the glue all over. And then I just dumped red glitter. <laughs> and then I had to like, make sure it like didn't spread. Cause um, I lived with obviously Dayspring and his husband at the time and they have two dogs and I didn't want them to eat the glitter and I didn't want the glitter to be everywhere. And we had carpets. I was like, Oh God. Kiki JP. <laughs> my dad was there recording the entire graduation process. And he's here like, where's nightfall. I'm like, just follow the glitter right there. You can literally <laughs> see a trail from when he walked. And at the time I worked at the university because I was a graduate student doing my MFA in writing. And I knew that venue particularly well. And I knew that after every single like event, there was a grad student who had to go by with a vacuum cleaner because I had to do it <laughs> and clean up everything and pick up the garbage. And there's this bitch with her fucking glittered platform holding her diploma, waving to everyone and an angry grad student right there. Just going, mm. that was um, actually one of my favorite memories. So I loved your graduation. Thank you. I did too. Cause I graduated, but <laughs> I, I, that's to say I have mad respect and I saw like the way it sparkles and looks on camera, on video. It's, it's amazing. It's really well done. It's such a beautiful costume, such a beautiful costume. So I guess we're getting into it. Um, what are your thoughts about Wanda as a character, a mother, an individual? I mean, I've said, I love her so much. I would call her my second favorite. If I have to rank them out, it would be Billy, Wanda, Jean. Um, and again, they have strong similarities overall. Uh, I think what makes Wanda unique and that I'd love to talk more about is that I see her as currently being mid-redemption arc. And going back to that idea of they lose control and then get punished to some degree, but we love them. And so, for example, with Jean Grey, there was the, oh, well, it wasn't Jean, it was the Phoenix. She was in the Bay the whole time. And we <laughs> sort of forget about the fact that, you know, she murdered 5 billion people. There's not Lovely a real people. repentance for Jean. I would love to see Jean feel a little bit more distraught about that situation um, and want to make it right in some way. Uh, and so I think it's in a way nice even though I'm defensive of Wanda, it makes me very offended to hear her called the pretender. And pretender, there have pretender. been so many attempts to redeem her already. Alan Heinberg immediately pulled Children's Crusade with the Life Force, which is very comparable, I think, to it was yeah. the Phoenix all along. It's not Wanda, it's Life Force. But that didn't stick, again, because I don't think it has that satisfaction to it. Yeah. Um, EVX, she managed to stop the Phoenix with hope and restore mutants to a degree, restore the existence of mutants, I guess not who lost and before. Um, and then in Empire, she's again going through this epic quest that I think could have been a whole series really to try and restore uh, Genosha and that goes horribly wrong. And Doctor Strange has this really weird, I think, exchange with her where he's talking down to her and reprimanding her. Yeah. Um, and I originally was, you know, upset. I'm like, Hickman is such a sexist. How dare he treat Wanda this way? But I think there's more to it when I try to step back and not just react emotionally. I think Hickman 
understands what he's doing and he has a long game for Wanda. I think we're going to see her do more and eventually come back to the fold, I think. Pro- probably more related to the X-Men than ever before. I'm hoping that's the case. I really am. I mean, obviously a lot of people know the reason why her and Pietro were no longer are no longer mutants is because of the film rights. And now that that seems to have been squared away, I would love for them to bring Wanda back and especially Pietro who has a rich history with X factor and the mutants. You know, when I think of like redemption arcs, you know, you said something interesting about Jean not feeling guilty about the broccoli people she killed And one of the things I love going back to female empowerment and powers, we understand that the Phoenix burns away what doesn't work. And I was so happy to see that the Phoenix wasn't this angry monster like Galactus that was just going to destroy an entire planet. Rather, it was serving a larger evolutionary cause. You know, to what degree, who knows? And to where that eventually goes, it depends on the writer of the week because the Phoenix is a fucking mess. You know, if you're reading (laughs) Enter the Phoenix, unfortunately. But with Wanda, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I've been rereading Children's Crusade and I'm baffled that we're still doing a redemption arc for Wanda and the mutants because she literally is absolved of everything that was going on. And one of her big lines in there, she said, I'm going to give the X-Men what they want, more mutants. And of course, that didn't pan out the way it was supposed to. But, you know, we we had Uncanny Avengers. We had Teen Jean come back being like, she destroyed us. It was Wanda. And sort of Teen Jean was like an outlier in that. Like Wanda's paying for her sins. I'm still shocked that we're still at this point where now that the mutants can resurrect, which I still don't even understand how they're unlocking the X-Gene. Because that was a big point of endangered species was that they couldn't find the X gene. Did Wanda suppress it? Did she erase it? Who knows? So now they can just clone a body and the X gene is present there. Fine. Sure. I just want to make that. I'm such a, I love world building as a concept. And I do like what Hickman's doing with the world building, but I need to know those little minute details, just like in, AVX, maybe you know the answer to this because I, I certainly never got the answer. In AVX, the entire point of the Phoenix coming to the Earth and why the X-Men were fighting so hard for Hope to take the Phoenix is because they believed she would repower the mutant race. The Phoenix Five come, they don't repower the mutants. They do everything but repower the mutants. And that never really, that was like the biggest plot hole for me. I don't, did you, why um. didn't they want to do that? I don't know. My interpretation was slightly different because I thought as Hope and Wanda join hands and say no more Phoenix, there's this, as I recall, sort of arc of light over the earth. And then doesn't Cerebro start putting up little blips of X-Gene detected, X-Gene detected. I thought that was them combined uh, restoring not the mutants who were lost, but the idea that new mutants can exist again. Yeah, the thing, yeah, absolutely. That was the ending. But, you know, if Hope was supposed to get the Phoenix and repower the mutant race, and then Scott, Emma, Namor, Magic, and Colossus get it, I was shocked that they didn't want to immediately try to repower the mutant race. And of course, it could have failed, right? They could have just been like, oh, we just don't have that power to unlock the, the X gene. We need Wanda or something like that. But it's the same with Hickman. I just want those little minute elements of the world building to just set in place because if not then i can't i can't make sense of anything but 
You know, I think WandaVision is doing a great job with, with its world building. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on WandaVision so far? I'm completely obsessed with WandaVision. Um, speaking of memes, there's, you know, the Mean Girls meme where it's 80% of the time I was talking about WandaVision. The other 20% <laughs> of the time I was just waiting for someone else to bring it up so I can talk about it more. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, but... I mean, when I was little, I would go to bed watching Nick at Night. Wanda is my favorite Avenger. It's like it was custom made for me in a way. I love and... Nick at Night. I, I mean, do you right? remember Monster Mondays, Bewitch Be Wednesdays? Do you remember the Genie's Diner story? I don't. Um, I am sitting on the sofa. There's a TV God. in the corner. I am watching Major Nelson. He is played by Larry Hagman. And he found a little bottle and out pop Barbara Eden. I could go on. Sorry. <laughs> I love Nick and Zest with Nick and Nate. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like that treasure trove in the episode eight we just watched that. Um, the classic DVDs is what Nick at Night is. It's the sort of time capsule that lets you experience another world in a way. Um, and similarly, I think WandaVision carries so many threads of references to the comics through different eras. You can see 80s and 90s and some even current tidbits. Um, and also for me, the historical cultural references, I think, are um, more relevant than people may necessarily realize. Which reference has been your favorite? Which sitcom reference has been your favorite? Um, I think I would say episode eight because there are two things they do that I think are just so incredibly smart and I'm just sitting there geeking out as it happens but um, in the scene where Vision walks in on her watching Malcolm in the middle and the porch collapses on the dad and he's you know bemused he's like it's funny that he is grievously injured and Wanda says well it's not that kind of show and I think that's so it tells you Wanda loves sitcoms because it has that safety built in and her life that's so full of trauma and angst. She knows that sitcoms are a safe place where you can decant ideas and deal with them in this closed environment. And that's in a way what the hex is, obviously. Um, I think it speaks to her psychology so deeply. And then similarly, when you're watching um, the flashback with her family, she chooses her favorite episode to watch is the Dick Van Dyke show, um, It May Look Like a Walnut. And that's such a reference to the hex as well, I feel, because it's a storyline where they watch a horror movie and then uh, it's Dick Van Dyke's nightmare is the rest of the episode where he imagines an alien invasion and Within a walnut, there's a glowing stone that I feel is obviously a call out to an infinity stone as part of why they picked it. And then one of the things that baby Wanda explains to us she loves about it is the whole theme of the episode is, oh, it was all the dream. All of that horror and nightmare was just a moment passing. And that goes with the main song that they've been using by the monkeys, Daydream Believer. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. All right, so before we get into our recap, our final question, and I, I wanted this because I love your deep cuts. Can you give us right now on air a Scarlet Witch deep cut? Sure. Um, I was incredibly excited watching this episode because of the um, visual reference of the horns, because I've always wondered about Wanda's headdress. Um, it has no direct parallel in the real world. It's sort of an amalgam of different things. 
And so I took a deep dive to explain what it is. Uh, so it combines two uh, medieval forms of headwear, the first of which is the wimple. And that's only her original headdress, which has the little yeah. carrot under her chin. It's supposed to be covering the neck and hair as a sign of modesty. It would be worn by married women and nuns. Um, and I think that's trying to express attention in Wanda because the horns element in the medieval period would be referring to a headdress called the henin, which is the stereotypical appointed princess hat. And it's meant to show your wealth because you can waste the fabric on that. Some women would even do a double henin, thus forming horns. The scarlet idea comes from a Christian reference, which is that in the book of Revelations, there is the character called the whore of Babylon. And she is described as wearing robes of scarlet and purple and riding on a scarlet beast. And because of that, in Christian-dominated areas, scarlet is a reference to promiscuity and sex work. Um, so when you have her wearing a wimple, head in combo, and being called a scarlet woman, there's this tension between sexuality, repression of sexuality, persecution going on. And further, uh, within the religion of Thelema, which was a magical system developed by Aleister Crowley, he recognized the whore of Babylon as a goddess. He called her Babylon the Red Goddess or Babylon the Scarlet Goddess. And that speaks further to goddess archetypes in history who had horns. Um, there are the Mesopotamian Astarte, Inanna, Ishtar. You get Shekinah in the Jewish Kabbalah tradition. Isis and Hathor in Egyptian mythology, Artemis, Aphrodite, Demeter, Hera, Io, and Selene all sometimes wear horned headdresses or the moon becomes horns on their head. And so it's this reference to the idea of horns represent the moon or the earth or animals and feminine power. And so when we see these women who are witches wearing these horned crowns, I think we're directly referencing that idea of goddess worship and women's empowerment and the way that the focus of witchcraft has been empowering women to persecuting them in the medieval period. And then in the modern era, as it's been reclaimed, empowering uh, women and people of marginalized genders and sexualities again. I am literally speechless. That was incredible. That. Th thank you for that. That was absolutely wonderful and beautiful and so well thought out. How long did it take you to get that deep cut? <laughs> I mean, or did you just I have been, it in the back of your pocket? I had the knowledge of the Henin and the Wimple because I've also done medieval recreationist costuming in one period of my life. So I recognized those originally and I knew the idea that Scarlet was a reference to sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, and I also knew from my pagan um, childhood that I recognized, for example, Isis with her horned crowd and Artemis wearing the moon. The high priestess tarot card, she usually has a moon headdress that makes horns yeah. on her head as well. And um, so I guess the details were kicking around, but to sit down when I got the question and really hammer it out was fun for me as well and make those connections. So let's jump into episode eight. And Geeky JP, I think you're going to be providing us with the recap. A copious recap. 
Oh, um, we're ready do, for do it. Do cut in if I'm going over long. So we start with the standard Marvel intro, except it changes from its classic scar scarlet color to Agatha's purple. Yes. Um, and then we immediately cut in a wisp of her magic to a nighttime ritual set in Salem, Massachusetts, 1693. We're told that Agatha is accused of betraying her coven and accessing the darkest of magic above her knowledge and her age. Um, and she, defending herself, says, I did not break the rules. They simply bent to my power. And then she starts to plead with them. She says she can't control it. She needs them to teach her. She needs them to help her. And I just felt there were so many parallels here to Wanda with this idea of immense power, mm -hmm. difficulty controlling it, being persecuted for it. Um, in her dialogue, she even reveals that the chief witch is her own mother. She's begging for mercy, but that is denied her. They all attack, they shoot these beams of blue energy at her and she starts to burn. But then something strange happens and it doesn't seem like it's entirely conscious on her part, but the energy starts to become corrupted. It turns purple and it rebounds on the other witches and it starts to drain their life force and they turn into these dried out withered husks. Um, then Agatha's mother herself attacks her. She gains her crown of blue fire in the horns Mm -hmm. and Agatha manages to drain and kill her as well. She grabs her signature brooch, and she flies off into the night. Uh, Ask Catherine the... Hahn, fly off into the night. She's so glorious. I know. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll but... have our, our standard Catherine Hahn love fest at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> she makes oh, it, definitely. Um, we return to the end of the previous episode where Agatha has revealed herself, and she's confronting Wanda in her creepy basement. Wanda tries to use her powers, but Agatha reveals that magic does not work within a circle of runes cast by another witch, and she marvels that Wanda doesn't seem to know these basics of witchcraft. She explains uh, that she came here because she sensed so many spells cast at once, referring to the hex, and she demonstrates some examples of magic she can do, but explains that Wanda is obviously much more powerful. She's casting tons of these spells. She has miles of magic acting on autopilot. And she pushes Wanda. She wants to know what it is that makes her so powerful. And she has, I think, the very significant line, you'd rather fall apart than face your truth. This idea of facing your truth comes up in the script on and on throughout the episodes. And so to force Wanda to face her truth, she sends her on a trip down memory lane to physically act out her memories that she's been trying to repress. So we step through the door into the next scene, which gives us Wanda's childhood in Sokovia. Uh, we see her brother Pietro and her alleged parents, Lena and Oleg Maximoff. And we learn that watching DVDs of old TV shows was a family tradition. I love and, that uh, you said alleged parents, by the way. Thank you. Oh, Strong yes. opinion. Thank you. No, no, I, I am. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> we find out that her favorite show was the Dick Van Dyke show and her favorite episode was It May Look Like a Walnut. And I think there's this incredibly touching cinematography where we see the joy on little Wanda's face and she keeps looking back and forth between Mary Tyler Moore on the screen and her own mother as this sort of ideal of the feminine glamour and love and domesticity. It's the normal life she was hoping to have there on the screen. But then the missile strikes tragically. Their parents are immediately killed and Wanda and Pietro are trapped in the apartment. We're acting out the story from Age of Ultron. Uh, the second missile lands and it's sitting there beeping like the toaster from the television ad in the first episode. And what I found so interesting is Wanda reaches out her hand and Pietro immediately cries out, don't, which to me suggests that they knew she had powers at this point. 
And Agatha then explains that the bomb wasn't a dud. She recognizes Wanda as a baby witch using a probability hex, which Wanda fans, of course, scream immediately when they hear that. And she used her magic to save them. So we push deeper, and the next trauma in Wanda's life is her time volunteering with Hydra. When Agatha challenges her on joining a terrorist organization, Wanda whispers in this kind of heartbroken voice that they wanted to change the world. We then see Wanda exposed to Loki's scepter, and she has a vision that the scientists' cameras can't record. She perceives the Mind Stone itself, as she seems to shatter the blue jewel of the scepter and revealing the true Infinity Stone within. And in a torrent of golden light, she sees the silhouette of a woman in a horned headdress. Mm. I think the actress, if you squint at the screen or if you look at the enhanced versions of the photo online, you see that it looks an awful lot like it's Elizabeth Olsen as the woman. Um, So it's possibly a vision of her future. But I point to the idea that both of Wanda's other alleged mothers, Magda, the wife of Magneto, and Natalia Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch before her, have both been said to look exactly like Wanda. So I think there's a possibility Ah. we're glimpsing her mother here. Yes, Magda. Yes, justice for Magda. And so Agatha concludes that it was an Infinity Stone amplifying Wanda's powers, but she needs still more information. So we cut to the next scene, which is Wanda's memory of the first time she and Vision ever shared. And Wanda has just lost her brother. She's sitting alone with her grief in the Avengers compound. And Vision interrupts, and the two share a very touching exchange uh, between Wanda, who's feeling so much tremendous loss, and Vision, who has never known love before to experience any loss himself. And he offers her the insight, what is grief but love persevering? I cried so much. I cried so so much hearing that. It was such a beautiful scene. WandaVision made me cry this week, guys. I cried three times. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to laugh. It's just, it's such a deeply emotional show. And when I heard that scene, and it was one of those things where, I finally understood their relationship. Not that I haven't understood the relationship, but you see why they fell in love, why she Mm -hmm. fell in love with him, because that was such a beautiful scene and it was so well acted. But anyways, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, continue. Um, From the memory of Vision, Agatha still wants more. And so we then transition to Wanda entering the sword facility. This is a grieving Wanda nearly returned from the snap. And she's begging for Vision's body so that she can bury him. Um, Wanda is introduced to director Hayward. We get a comic call out with her shattering the doors to enter, um, as well as when it's revealed that Vision is being openly dissected on tables right in front of her. A very, WandaVision always has had this horror movie aspect, I think, but Mm -hmm. it really hit home for me watching Vision dissected. That's a, that's a nightmare scene. That was rough to watch. And I love seeing like his like, quote unquote bloods, which was all his circuitry just right there on the yeah. table. Fall oh man. And like his fingernail. Oh, it was rough. Wanda's insisting at this point that she just wants to grieve. She wants to mourn. She wants to be able to bury her husband. Well, her lover. Um and so Hayward contends that he cannot allow her to take three billion dollars worth of vibranium and just put it in the ground. So she's she like, shatters yes, I can. the glass and lies down to the table and she um, recreates the scene where she reads his mind both when he was first created by Ultron and then again in Infinity War but 
the line is sort of inverted. Instead of I just feel you, it becomes this tragic lament, I can't feel you. Then from there, we get a straw Wanda returning to her car, the shiny red Buick. Um, and was she it a Buick? I had Corolla in my I, notes because I don't know. I thought, cars. It was, I thought I caught the Three Shield logo. I could be wrong. But because I was like, why is Wanda driving a Buick? Like, yeah, why is she? But, like, she? She's like, do you validate parking, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, can you validate this? <laughs> Sorry, I broke your glass. <laughs> she looks significantly to her passenger seat where there's an envelope. And then she drives us to the town of Westview. She gives us a tour of life before the hex, and we recognize several of the characters. And she reveals that the envelope is the deed to a plot of land where ostensibly Vision planned for them to build a home to grow old together. Um, it's written with a little heart and dash so from cute. V, but I'm not entirely convinced it's necessarily vision. Um, oh. But overcome with grief in this moment, we then see Wanda explode with scarlet magic in this incredible sequence. She forms her Dick Van Dyke dream home out of nothing for in this sort of cubist perspective, recalling the Avengers disassembled cover, I'd say, where there's sort of the jigsaw aspect yeah, of her falling by Joe Casada. And she engulfs Westview in the hex and she creates vision, I would say not out of nothing, but in my interpretation, out of her own essence. There's this pouring of energy from literally her heart that creates him, which I feel is so powerful. And then um, as she looks at her dream world come to life, there's this moment where she's still in color and Vision looks at her kind of questioningly and then she, the camera cuts away and then she steps into black and white into her role as the sort of Mary Tyler Moore character that she always dreamed of. And then we return to the present with Agatha mocking her with applause from the audience. Uh, we then hear the screams of Billy and Tommy from outside and Wanda rushes to find them. And we get Agatha dressed in her full comic book regalia. She's seemingly strangling the twins on these magical puppet strings, which is a slightly less horrifying recreation of Master Pandemonium absorbing them into his arms in the comics. Yeah. Um, and she gives us just this wash of significant lines. She says, I know what you are, a being capable of spontaneous creation. This is chaos magic, Wanda, and that makes you the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> and then we roll credits and we get another amazing sequence in the mid credit scene, which is Hayward has used a Scarlet Energy Renner's to do from the drone wanted disabled to reanimate his own version of vision. It's the bleached emotionless white vision from West Coast Avengers 245. I, your recap was phenomenal. I mean, bravo. <laughs> Thank you. I, I absolutely loved this episode. I thought this episode really just like dug into it really, really well. Nightfall, I'm curious what your thoughts are. So amazing, amazing recap. I think that hit all the sweet spots. And there, you know, I was thinking a lot through this episode. What it reminded me very much in a similar vein was um, the We Interrupt This Broadcast episode with Monica's kind of origin story-esque moment. And I felt like it was a very straightforward episode where it gave you a lot to digest, but there's still a lot there that was like very interesting to kind of um, look into. Someone had said this where they were like, well, it's so weird seeing, you know, like all the, um, like all the, like, why did they show the DVDs and all this stuff? And I was like, I like that because what it does more so is it tells, 
it, it confirms the story versus being kind of a reference point. It kind of, it validates a lot of the theories, but it also brings a lot of attention to her, her upbringing and what she saw in these individuals and what she saw, you know, it's not speculation. She legitimately wanted this ideal life. She lived, you know, in a not great neighborhood and a really awful state of affairs for her family where these little pleasures like, you know, TV or movie night were important to them and it funded and it really created this culture that she wanted. Um, the, the two main things that I, I take, uh, I kind of have looked into in this episode one, the moment when she walks onto the plot of land and she is just like in tears, I felt that like, that was where I felt like such, I, I literally cried at that moment. Cause I was like, that was such a strong, I felt like that was like the last thing that broke her in a yeah. way where she like didn't have even the home that was supposed to be there for her envision before um, she went dark Phoenix. <laughs> before- well, actually, everyone keeps, like, I see online the comparisons to Sophie Turner getting the phoenix sucked into her, but it reminded me more of X-Men Apocalypse, where the yes. energy was coming from her soul like that, yes. in terms of the, the graphics. And you brought up a really good point, because I, I noticed I uh, the energy that goes into Vision is specifically yellow. It's not red. It's not that crimson energy that she has, or scarlet energy that she was pro- uh, producing. It's yellow. So I, I felt it was like it was her almost kind of sacrificing something within her or some part of her into vision and in a way kind of validating his existence as opposed to being just a mere illusion. I mean, he got out of the hex uh, two episodes ago and he didn't like disappear or it wasn't weird. Like he legitimately was just breaking apart because I think at the end there's something in the hex that gives him power, but I think he's much more, solid in his uh, form than the than what most people might speculate and the other thing that i thought which was a really interesting detail because it flips everyone's kind of perspective on this um the 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 town folk of westview are all kind of sad and kind of like you know a little depressed or maybe not in the best of spirits after everything that's happened to them and you know, despite the fact that Wanda kind of rewrote their memories or rewrote a lot of their personalities and obviously what she's doing is very traumatic. It, in a way, it's almost kind of like she wasn't just appeasing her own sadness. She was appeasing everyone else's sadness. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what Fietro said <laughs> in, uh, in the Halloween episode where it's like you kept everyone kind of within a similar bounds of like what they did as an occupation and kept families together, which I thought was a really like, again, this goes back to the idea of what we talked about at the beginning where Wanda as a traumatic or troubled individual, it's not a very polarizing or negative thing. She's also processing a lot of grief, but she's also taking into account a lot of individuals like these people. She's not like making them lead miserable or awful lives. She's actually very much taking into account their own feelings and perspectives, albeit doing it in a very forceful and maybe not even in her total control, but doing it in a very intense way at that. First off, my question is, how much money are they making as Avengers? Like, literally, Vision bought a plot of land in a dilapidated Jersey town. Like, he couldn't afford Bushwick. That was, like, the first thing that was, like, I was, like, what? Like, so here's my thing with what happened with Westview. I did not like that. That they showed us that the town was dilapidated. Everyone was set Mrs. Hart there, all sad. Like, where's Mr. Hart? And I thought that was just a really 
I don't know, like just an easy way to absolve Wanda of sin. Like here, they, they were sad. What she did wasn't really so bad. And she's kind of keeping them intact. Like she hijacked this town. She put them under a hex, out of their control. I, I would have liked a little bit less of that in your face because this kind of in a way shows what, what she did wasn't all that terrible. Gigi JP, what do you think? I was looking at your, I'm looking at your facial reactions. I mean, it's valid. Um, I had a discussion with one of my friends who is very much not a Wanda fan, particularly how MCU Wanda has been characterized and the degree she feels to which I always want to absolve her and give her an easy way out. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of her direct comments earlier as we watched WandaVision was that um, she wasn't particularly making things nicer for anyone, in her opinion. It wasn't a happy world. Um, I, one of the residents talks about the pain they feel, which yeah. I think is also referenced by Monica when she talks about how while within the hex there was this suppression, overwhelming grief. Exactly. So it, I don't think we can necessarily say she was doing a good thing with the hex. I think everyone within it is still quite traumatized my only reasoning for that is that i think when you're looking at the source material of course it's there you know monica says it um i'm forgetting the co-worker's name who's here like she's controlling us wanda's causing harm to people that is fact that is canon that is said however the way the storytelling was done in this episode almost showed that she brought some like a spark to this town sure and, and that was just my only little grievance i'm a huge wanda stan i love wanda i love elizabeth olsen i love her in the comics so I, I i too give her a free pass on anything but just looking at this just strictly from what i was given it just kind of irked me a little bit the second thing to, to to what you guys were talking about and in reference to what makes wanda tick i love what you said geeky jp of her sitting there looking at the Dick Van Dyke show, because that's the main note I have is the way she was looking at Mary Tyler Moore. And I've been on the Mary Tyler Moore binge recently, which I feel like the whole world is Mary Tyler Moore now, (laughs) but I, she's looking at her with such admiration and you vocalized it so well that this is a female ideal of happiness of suburban bliss. And when Elizabeth Olsen steps into that role, you see that same magic that Mary Tyler Moore had and you understand what motivates Wanda, why she wanted to create this world. It's the hello Megan from young justice moment that I've been asking for my only initial disappointment is it's a bit on the nose. It's exactly what all of us thought. She was watching these, you know, shows, these sitcoms growing up, and they are a place of happiness, a, a place of security. And that's great. The one thing they did that I loved was when she was in the Sokovian prison and they had the Brady Bunch on in the background. I love that because I was telling my husband this these shows are in the background of your life. If you grew up of a certain age, you turn Mm -hmm. on the television show, the Brady Bunch was just there on in the background and you kind of sat down, you tuned in and you kind of didn't. Same with I Dream of Jeannie, Mary Tyler Moore, et cetera. But I'm glad that they told us why they were using this sitcom format. The only thing that throws me off though was that ending, and we've kind of seen, we saw this last episode with Agatha when it pulls out and Agatha's in the director's chair. So Wanda is 
not only wanting to live in the sitcom fantasy, she wants to live in the broadcasted Hollywood fantasy, which is it has to be broadcasted. There has to be an opening sequence. There has to be commercial and there has to be end credits. And it's actually a set that she's on. And I found that pretty interesting. I love, I love that moment where, cause you know, I've watched a lot of the behind the scenes footage. So I've seen like how this, it's like legitimately the, set like they didn't touch anything it's like exactly how they had it set up for the first episode where they just have everyone kind of sitting there um watching and i love that like it just inverts your entire expectation and puts that kind of um for you to see the set as it is and for you to see everything in color and just like it really just it breaks the fourth wall in a lot of ways too um you know going back to what we were talking about with the the people there i think one thing i've really loved about a lot of modern or contemporary writing and a lot of series and shows is the idea that they are um, dissecting and kind of um, understanding the the medium or understanding kind of the storytelling elements. There's a lot of things that happen in WandaVision that if this was back in like the eighties or nineties, even there would have been a lot of details that would have been glossed over and just been like, Oh, whatever about it. But nowadays people really look at these details and they're like, that's a very traumatic experience to go through, right? Something like Wanda overwriting people's feelings and memories are very traumatic. And I, I feel like in a way, um, Wanda is gonna kind of see a repercussion for that where like maybe it's not necessarily her being like, I made you guys all have a happy home. They might say to her, bitch, we were happy the way we were. Maybe we weren't happy because that's just life. Like what everyone- I don't know. Mrs. Hart looks so sad but, at that but, cafe. My heart broke for her. Well, and that's what I feel like. It's like you can't overwrite other people's grief or make them yeah. go through things a different way. It's like everyone goes through grief because this was also very recently with like the blip and everything that had happened. Um, I feel like it's kind of going back oh, to the idea that right. like you just can't overwrite people's grief. You have to let them process it and handle it. And that's what she's going to learn, not only about herself, but through other people like emotions. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. I didn't understand until now, or excuse me, I didn't see that until now, the contrast between the entire world is celebrating that people are back from the blip and Westview is kind of sad, or we're assuming it's sad. I mean, it could just sure, be sure. North, the Northeast in the winter. So, <laughs> that, I mean, that was, she was playing visible distress, I feel. I mean, I, my heart went out to her in that moment as well. Yeah. Wait, let's go to the beginning with Catherine Hahn at that scene. And we all, okay, good. I want to hear it. So uh, the only thing I'm going to say, I love what they did where you thought, oh, this is Salem, the witch trial. She's going to be burned. She's going to be accused of being a witch and the townspeople are going to burn her. But actually, no, it's her fellow coven and they're accusing her of corrupting magic. I really like that little little turn they did in the narrative. It was a little unexpected. Mm -hmm. What, what are your theories, JP? Um, well, one, I think in the conversation of people's grief, I think there's a um, parallel between how Monica is also grieving. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, I interpret Agnes as also grieving. She didn't want to kill her mother in my interpretation. That was her own tragic loss that I think she may still be carrying as well. Um, and so what I really, really, really want is for Monica and Wanda and Agnes to all just be able to hug and <laughs> hug it out. <laughs> Sit down and just hug it out. These, these maternal figures that, <laughs> that have died in them. 
Um, yeah, I I don't know what to really think of that scene. It, I love Catherine Hahn. First of all, the the VFX they did on her face, the face tune they did on her face to make her look significantly younger. I've seen some people say that looks so great. I thought it looked awful. Her face looks so blurry, and Catherine Hahn is so beautiful that she doesn't need any retouches, in, in my opinion. But I wasn't. I don't know if it was her acting or approach to the scene when she was here, like, no, I want to be good. I was like, but do you, but do you Catherine? I, Hall? I thought, I thought it was all, I thought that was like her double acting. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. there's even the moments where she got hit by all the spells. I felt like that was like her character acting like, Oh, you got me. <laughs> JK got you back, bitch. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of levels within her, that mm -hmm. acting that she was exhibiting. But um, I that's did, how I interpret it. But I don't disagree with you, Geeky JP, because there were other moments in that where I felt like she genuinely did not want to fight her mother. She did not want to fight her fellow sisters. And I think she did not mean for the situation to end the way it did. That being said, though, she walked up right to her mother, grabbed that brooch, and like took off, <laughs> which I loved. Went straight to Westview, baby. <laughs> she went straight. <laughs> First class ticket. But then the other scene that I wanted to talk about too in the beginning that kind of threw me for a loop and I still don't know what to make of it. And I want you guys to weigh in was how Agnes is using the term magic so much in front of Wanda and Wanda doesn't really seem phased by it. I know she said something like I'm not a, and then Agnes starts like throwing her around, but you know, up until this point, Wanda is not a witch as far as we, the viewer knows and, or, or as far as Wanda should know. So I I'm curious, like, are we now just going to have to accept the fact that she's magic based without a real proper reaction from Wanda? And she's like, yeah, I am. Do we think she, because of the vision she had, maybe the mind stone granted her some foresight. I'm curious what you, what you boys think. I wonder if the two scenes of her as a child and with the mind stone, are her denying her witch status potentially. Mm -hmm. And so by being forced to relive them by Agatha, she maybe gained more memories than we necessarily were let on by the script. Um, I think it also might be possible we get more reaction in the next episode as we hopefully get more explanation of chaos magic and who the Scarlet Witch is. Yeah. I'm, I gotta tell you, I didn't think she was gonna be unveiled to be a mutant. But when they showed that scene, and obviously it's Mutant 101, a very traumatic event, they're of that age range, and Wanda stuck out her hand, and Agnes is like, I have some theories on who you are. I'm like, oh my god, she's going to be a mutant. She is going to be a mutant. And I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that she's not a mutant. It, Wanda being a witch, of course, explains why she survived the Mind Stone experiments, what it unlocked in her, but it doesn't explain Pietro. Mm -hmm. And that's well, what I'm curious about. Uh, oh, are we talking her biological brother? Not, not Pietro, right? Yeah, like Pietro, like Aaron Taylor Johnson. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe... I think, I think there's a... Maybe this is their way of slowly retconning that not that mutants have always been around, but that there is the possibility of these genes existing to kind of validate the, the experience, or maybe they're just going to stick that, you know, Wanda was specifically more magic based than Pietro was. 
Geeky JP, what do you think? Um, I have a weird theory. Um, when the first missile hits, I felt like there was something visually odd to the screen that I don't have the technology or skills to isolate, but I also felt like there was a sort of zoom swoosh sound effect that in my mind, I think it's possible Pietro used his powers there as well and that he super sped him and Wanda out of the path of the first missile. Um, oh. Uh, I, I like oh. that theory a lot. I, I think personally on a technical standpoint, it's just, it's a kid, like kid actors and you can't really like forcibly like throw them or kind of make them move in such a jarring way. So it was more of like a 3D post-production kind of effect. But I like that a lot more that it was Pietro that saved the two of them before the missile hit. So do you, do you think- want them to have X genes? Um, I think the Wakanda file book supports yeah. that. Um, it's certainly a thing I'm gunning for. Also with that, um, I can't recall specifically the episode, but when confronted by Hayward outside the hex, Wanda has the Magneto mirror seat from the yeah. Fox movies and controlling mm -hmm. the guards and stepping away and doing the little hand flick exactly like Magneto. When I'm like that's Magneto, right? But There's no evidence to support that these are her biological parents. Just yet, it could be the family that raised her and she's been with them. But I, I do hope we're going to get a Magneto and Magda mention later down the line. Yeah, I hope it, Pietro has the X-Gene. I hope Wanda has the X-Gene. And that's sort of what kick-started them was this traumatic event. And that would be unraveled, maybe not in WandaVision, but a little later on. But Wanda's mutation is so awkward as well because of the way it's been retconned and fiddled with. Mm -hmm. Like the most recent explanation was that she would have been more of an energy manipulation mutant, except that Thawne touched her with his chaos magic. And so she becomes this mutant magic hybrid, which yeah. now that uh, Teeny Howard with Excalibur is explaining, oh, actually all mutant powers are magic. I got so excited immediately because I was like, well, Wanda's magic, Wanda's a mutant. <laughs> I've heard step in and explain mutant magic to us, please. I also think that would make so much sense with the decimation and the like, if Wanda is magical and mutant powers are magical and she's the most magic mutant, it makes sense for there to be this interaction between them. Do you think we're heading towards a retcon in the comic books where she will go back to being a mutant? I mean, it's hard for me to necessarily differentiate between what's there and what I desire. <laughs> I mean, I lay out multi-point cases for why I think it's going that direction. Um, I think the James Robinson Scarlet Witch series from 2015 really sort of laid the eggs to make that come to fruition. He's the one who immediately after Uncanny Avengers has been like, you're not a mutant, you aren't related to Magneto, Django and Mario were your parents all along. Then uh, Robinson steps in and he's like, actually, um, it was Natalia. She's your real mother and you don't know who your father is. Yeah. And I theorize that since both Natalia and Magda have claimed to be Scarlet Witch's mother in a sort of land of the dead, supposed realm of truth, that they could actually be the same person. They look exactly like Wanda. They say they're her mother. Maybe for a period of time, Natalia felt she had to call herself Magda for some reason, and she yeah. and Magneto could still be Wanda's parents. 
please go get a job at Marvel right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, it's taken me a while to come to Excalibur. I got back into Excalibur with Ten of Swords. I think Teeny Howard is killing it. I think her writing, she's such a meticulous writer who has A, B, C, and D all lined up. And I appreciate that. Empire with Hickman. I think they both complement each other so well. Empire is probably my favorite. Those four issues are probably some of my favorite X stories that we've gotten in the last few years. I, I do feel like they kind of undercut Wanda in that. Like they, they did such great setup at the beginning. And then it was like, whoop, she's gone. And it's also like, I don't think, have we seen Wanda react to Krakoa yet? I don't, I don't know if we have. She's been invited there by Beast, who I think has the worst of intentions in doing so. I fucking hate Beast. I mean, if you, (laughs) we have an entire episode with Warpath Dylan discussing why we hate Beast so much. Wait, what what episode, what issue did he invite Wanda to Krokoa? Um, I think it's Strange Academy number four. We get to see Wanda's emails and one of them is from Beast wanting to figure out the Krakoa gates. And he's like, you have a fake X gene. I want to see how Krakoa handles ah this. you're right i did actually see it. i don't re- i don't read strange academy but i have seen that screenshot you're absolutely right and there's also an email from magneto where he says that regardless of biology he still thinks of himself as her father even though in sword he's here like oh yes wanda the pretender and like rolls his eyes at her mm-hmm. here's another question i have for you all how has it been agatha all along i don't understand that like what, I... what is she doing I love the idea of like the villain kind of always being there in plain sight. But one thing that um, someone mentioned, which was really smart, was the idea that, you know, WandaVision is a standalone show at the end of the day. Still, it has to be a standalone show. Still, it can be connected to the MCU as it will evidently be. But it has to stand on its own two feet as like a story that can be told from beginning to end and have a cohesiveness in its um, narrative. And I think that it's great that, and I said this, Agatha being the villain of this show is fitting versus saying a Mephisto or a nightmare. That can be the big bad down the road for the next phase. But for this show, I think Agatha being the villain in the sense that she is going to reveal her true intentions, right? Mm -hmm. They never really specified what she delved into during her Salem era and there was a weirdness of her using the kids and specifically targeting Wanda there's a reasoning behind all this Um, and I think that's something that's really awesome about her and even in a way a lot of people I I love what Catherine Hahn has brought to the character in this episode we've seen her be funny we've seen her be sassy we've seen her be glamorous and just all around that you know, quirky individual you just want to get to know, but we've seen her really serious and also really scared in this episode. And I love that there's a way where she's like, she's like, I like when she said you're the Scarlet Witch wasn't like a declaration of like hostility, but rather like a concern, like you're a threat. And Wanda herself doesn't even understand that. And I love that there's this idea of her being like, I'm going to fight you. And it's again, Wanda having to discover her legacy and her heritage. Um, so I, I do feel like, I feel like Agatha being the villain isn't in a sense, like she's not like the big bad. She's like a mini boss, if you will. <laughs> so is Scarlet Witch, how did you guys take that? Is Scarlet Witch supposed to be a creature or is it a legacy like a Mythos. slayer? Yeah. 
Mythos. Kiki JP. Um, I th- I think it's like the Robinson comics where you can call it a creature, but it's not like she's a constant. It's a mantle that I think goes from mother to child. Gotcha. My interpretation where I'm still claiming that the silhouette was in fact not Wanda, but her <laughs> secret mother. Uh, <laughs> We're here for it. We're here for that. Yeah, I think I, I sort of see it as a mantle as well, like the Sorcerer Supreme. And that's why at the end of this, she's going to end up with Doctor Strange and he's going to be training her and they'll, they'll fix the multiverse. Still no word on the multiverse, though. Wow. Not yet. And I, you know, the Spider-Man No Way Home you know, drop the name dropped and we had sort of a dry race board and we saw a hex on it. So I thought the hex was supposed to be emblematic of the multiverse. And what do you guys think of that? Do we, do we think the multiverse is still going to play a role in here? Do we think Pietro is actually Peter Maximoff from the days of future past movies? I think, I think there's been a purposeful likeness of not revealing a lot of details, like even, um, uh, Agatha saying, Agatha being like, oh, you, you know, Pietro. <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't outright kind of explain where she got him though. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't, like a lot of people are like, oh, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's some random person that's just casted as it. I'm like, that's such a weird and such a, like a specific thing to kind of go down the road of doing. And I feel, again, it goes back to what we've all been saying a waste of that character and a waste mm-hmm. of the potential that's there especially if the multiverse is such a big idea that's coming to the mcu um but i think there's a lot of intention where she left a lot of things ambiguous even like when she talked about the kids right she didn't like i was expecting when she mentioned the kids that she was going to say like oh they're fake you know what i mean or, so, or they're not real but like she again she kept everything very ambiguous and there's been i think the the, the idea we've been it's kind of like with the sitcoms we've been hypothesizing theorizing feel like the the uh the um multiverse is a good going to be a big reveal for the last episode that's going to open the doors into like everything at the end of the day how great would it have been if wanda after she saw katherine hahn with her children tethered like they were going to the mall she was here like nope snap and they were like gone <laughs> like that would no more agatha no more and agatha would have been like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> what do you think geeky jp i think the Nexus commercial suggests to me that we're still definitely going to get Nexus yeah. being and from there, the multiverse. Um, I question Pietro because Agatha explains that she couldn't bring back real Pietro because he's on another continent. So if she can't reach to another continent, how would she reach to another reality? Yeah, especially since we've seen her teleport in this episode. I was like, you couldn't teleport to another continent. And yeah, I agree with you. That When I see things like that, I don't know how to interpret that. Is it just lazy writing or is that rules that have been established that we need to follow through with? Mm. So I don't know. I, I, I don't. Mm. I don't know. I, I do think it would be a waste if they brought Evan Peters and put him in Quicksilver garb to just be a, a random character. I, I think it would be a missed opportunity, especially since, you know, Andrew Garfield 
Tobey Maguire and a whole bunch of other actors are being rumored to return for Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. Why wouldn't you have Evan Peters, who was probably one of the more iconic characters from the rebooted X-Men franchise? That just seems like a wasted opportunity for me. But I don't know if he's evil. I, I don't. Do we think he's evil? Do we think he's going to battle it out with Wanda and, and family? I, I think he's on Wanda's side at the end of the day. I, I feel that at least. But how did he know? Here's the thing that I don't know. How did he know so much about Wanda and like memories and them growing up? I guess it's alluded to Wanda's like, that's not how I remember it. So, yeah. you know, when they were talking about trick or treating and all that stuff. And I did, I don't, I, I hope they explain Pietro properly is all I, I want. Even if it turns out not to be him, I'll be disappointed, but I want an explanation for it. I, I would love, because the way I was I was thinking about this, like with the MCU, especially with a multiverse, how do you kind of, you know, keep the same bloodline relative kind of relationship, like sibling relationships? Because they're not technically related in the sense of like genetics, they're alternate universe versions. But I like the idea of the fact that, you know, if let's say this Pietro was pulled from the Fox universe, mm-hmm. that they the two of them have kind of a shared uh, story of they've lost a sibling essentially you know they they don't have access to their currents to their real sibling and that i feel like is a way that the two of them will bond to some extent and especially if we get a magneto thrown in there that's another element that adds a whole <laughs> layer um but I, I like that idea that like again it's just it's such a it's such a great narrative element if we're already going to go into the multiverse you might as well just start introducing these characters and actually keep them i'm very curious if we're going to see ralph I want the explanation of who Ralph is. And I don't think Pietro can be Ralph because my understanding from the basement scene was Agnes said that she was possessing Pietro. I thought she said something about a crystalline possession spell when he was being kind of especially shady and pushing Wanda for information in the Halloween episode. That was Agatha, to my understanding. Agatha wouldn't need to possess the big bad or her lackey my opinion so that would indicate that Pietro must be not directly aligned with Agnes I think sure yeah I I love that little nod there when she was here like oh he was my eyes and ears because now we know why he was pressing her in that Halloween scene and I thought that was absolutely brilliant you know I thought Ralph was going to come into play in in the opening scene I thought Ralph would have been revealed to be Mephisto right of the devil right or the devil who 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 imbued her with power and now was going to come save her don't get me wrong I love that it was just Catherine Hahn who had studied become more powerful but I thought that's where we're going to get Ralph and now I'm kind of like well was Ralph a red herring you know could be I think that um they definitely are playing with red herrings. I think that Dottie was a red herring, in my opinion. Um, I have questions about the color of magic in my theories, because in Doctor Strange, we saw that kind of the established wizardly magic color is orange, unless they're using the time stone, which makes it green. Mm -hmm. And Dormammu specifically had purple magic, who we've only Mm -hmm. otherwise seen exhibited by Agnes using her dark powers, whereas the other witches were all very specifically all blue, contrasted to Wanda's scarlet. I think there's something going on with the color schemes. I haven't figured it out yet, but I think that's something to follow up on in further episodes. 
Yeah, I wanted to see where they were going to go in the next episode with that because the different colors of magic, is it hierarchy? Is it supposed to be an alignment of where your morality is at? I'm curious. I'm right there with you on that. What were you going to say, Nightfall? I thought it, I, I, I thought I was, I had saw something about it being attached, her, specifically her purple magic being attached to like also necromancy or something like that. Or I think something within what she was working on or had downstairs was attached to necromancy as well. So when Wanda is birthing vision and the yellow energy comes out of her, I took that as an extension of the infinity stone yeah, and that she sort of absorbed some of its power because she's a byproduct of that, whatever the, the science magic is there and that she was able to reconstitute vision actually like that is actually vision. And now we have white vision <laughs> who is a lifeless <laughs> body. Huh? White Vision is, he freaks me out, which I find <laughs> funny because I thought White Vision in the comics was very silly. And I think it's a matter of color scheme. Comics, they highlighted yeah. white by making him yellow, yeah. which is a warm color. And I think just makes him look sort of silly. The blue, cold, white Vision is so ghostly and scary to me. I know. I can't wait to see both Visions fight. I, I'm sure that's what we're going to get and become an amalgamation <laughs> of each other. I mean, sure. uh, that's how I, I'm kind of seeing it. I'm curious if we're going to get, you know, like the vision from Young Avengers at the end of this or a different sort of vision. Ooh, but, I like I like that idea of like well, something setting up Young Avengers even more with, with this vision. Yeah, but I, I felt when I saw her birthing vision and then obviously with the end credits scene, I'm like, I think logically that's we're somehow going to get a hybrid of these two visions and that's going to be our vision going forward in the MCU. What are you um, thinking? Pagan parallel that exists is in Wiccan mythos, the goddess always gives birth to the God who then grows to become her lover. And then at the turn of the year from fall to winter, he's killed by a dark God who replaces him only to eventually be reborn in the spring. So I think there may possibly be some parallels with our twin dudes and Wanda birthing him and find the goddess within. I wonder <laughs> if we're going to get more goddess talk at some point. And I wonder if those actors from the commercials are going to return. There was a big rumor on Reddit that they were supposed to be Wanda's parents. And look, I love Victoria Blade. I still send her DMs, <laughs> even though she's ignoring me. <laughs> I'm Every like, episode, <laughs> we bring this up. I, because that's my favorite part. Because Victoria Blade is a fucking goddess. Her publicist has literally blocked me. I'm messaging her, like, just come on the podcast, Victoria Blade. <laughs> come on. But I wonder if we're going to see anything else from them. And I actually like the idea that they could have been her parents, but... You know, it's it's fine. I, I don't want to be one of those fans who are like, oh, it didn't go my way. My theory didn't pan out. It's it's fine. I I love what you're talking about, Geeky JP, and the ties with mythology, because I think this show is smart enough to dig deep into those parallels. My only thing that I'm worried about is the show's ability to deliver on a lot of hype that's been given to it with things like the multiverse, the mutants, and it's self-inflicted hype, don't get me wrong. It's not like 
it's not like they promised anything Nerds. but you know i'm i'm kind of like I, i'm still i'm still waiting for the show to begin sometimes emotionally even though so much has happened and we're going places i'm still like i'm hoping this next part is going to be about two hours which this episode was 46 minutes and yeah I can't believe again. I've said I've said this every episode as well. I can't believe I care so much about running time on the show. Like I'm like the first thing I did when I turned on Disney Plus was pause it and see the minutes. I'm like, yes, 46. It's a Buffy episode, you know. But because Buffy was 45 minutes. To to that end, not about Buffy. Um, maybe for the next podcast. <laughs> um, Power of Buffy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Power of the Slayer. <laughs> um i was gonna say i feel like i i was thinking a lot about this during this episode specifically um this series again i think it's a standalone series i think it will it will stand on its own two feet and be fine as a story i think though it's exactly what you said dayspring all self-inflicted type we are we are propagating this we are making this a bigger thing i feel like this show in a way is a setup and it's an origin story to the multiverse yeah. and to many ideas that are going to come out of it. And I, and I do, I, I will say, unless, unless I get like literally everything that has been theorized is proven correct. Um, I feel like the show is going to, the major criticism the show will get is the fact that it didn't deliver on some things, but I feel like what like the it, astrophysicist, <laughs> wait, what did Amanda say? Astrophysicist. Astrophysicist. <laughs> Kiki JP, by the way, we had Demanda on last week and she was telling us. I listened. Uh, oh, yeah. Did you, you heard your shout out because she, <laughs> yes. she spoke about you. My Yo Gabba Gabba rabbit hole. <laughs> In my but, defense, that show is creepy as hell. And I was like, there's no way this is a real children's show. But <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. There's um, no way. But, but yeah, I feel like it's going to be a setup. I think this, I think this whole show or the whole show is going to open a lot of doors. It's an origin story to a lot of things and ideas. Um, so that's, that's my, I, like, that's my thing about when people are going to be like, Oh, it didn't deliver on this. It didn't. It's like, it's unfair to thrust so much upon it, but I do feel like something like the astrophysicist, like it was, astrophysicist. it was literally planted there for two excruciating episodes and you are led to believe it's going to be something big. Did I think it was going to be Reed Richards? Well, a part of me thought they can, they kept baby Yoda a secret. They kept Luke Skywalker a secret. This is Disney plus. They're not fucking around. They really yeah. want that hype. I thought maybe John Krasinski would have shown up as Reed Richards. I thought they maybe were a very be real possibility. So, you know, when it kind of turned out to be a red herring and nothing really, it's fine. I, I don't think it's fair to thrust that expectation on it, but I think the X community right now, which is a very loud vocal big base for Marvel are highly waiting for the X-Men to, or mutants to come into the MCU. And we're sort of, hoping this would be a gateway it could still be and and you have pietro in there so we'll see where that goes i really like i i really hope this next episode i think this will be the answer here right if the next episode is more than an hour long i think we're gonna get a lot of answers but if it's less i think then we're gonna see that this was what they wanted to they they achieved what they wanted to achieve and they want to leave a lot more of the storytelling for future episodes um 
But I, I feel like for a finale episode, they have to go all out and just really hit like a lot of notes. And they did that with this episode where they were very straightforward about like the origins of Agatha, the origins of Wanda's kind of history with her magic. So I feel like, you know, especially again, no one would have expected her to say, you are the Scarlet Witch, but you are. It's I like, yeah. you know, who like no one expected that to happen. I mean, I was sitting over here going like, she's going to say it during the Halloween episode. What are you dressed as? She's gonna I go, thought Hayward would have said it. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought she was going to be like, a Scarlet Witch. You know, I like, thought she was going to say mutant. I mean, until the bitter <laughs> end, I thought she was going to say mutant. Even when she said Scarlet Witch, I was like, oh, my God. And and can you, <laughs> can you imagine if she said I'm dressed as a mutant? Can't you see my headpiece? <laughs> because it's the shape of an M. <laughs> that would by the way, your deep cut, let me just say this. The headpiece has always been something I've like loved about her design. And I legit been like, oh, it's just, it's shaped like horns, like the devil and it's an M. So it's like Magneto, but also Marvel and all these things. And you're over here being like, actually it's all this. And I'm like, I like that a lot more. I mean, it can be <laughs> like the horns stolen. being, you know, you don't need them. It's more excess. It's a symbolic, it's symbolic of wealth. I love that. Did you notice that? Agatha's mother, her her magic created kind of horns. Yeah. Do you think do you think Wanda's horns or her headpiece is going to be magic based, or do you think it's going to be solid? Like I love the scene where she creates her costume out of nothing, like sort of the Jean Phoenix where she spins her costume together in those scenes, yeah. molecularizes the atoms. Um, I don't know. I don't see how else she would necessarily get it. Is Agatha going to be like, here is the tiara of the Scarlet Witch. I don't <laughs> see that happening. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I see her kind of like her powers manifesting in, in the form of the crown tiara. And, you know, to what degree does it stay on when she's not using her powers? Shrug, is it going to be like the mother that when she goes full blown, which it, it manifests? I guess we'll we'll have to see. I do agree that Wanda will probably do a phoenix twirl and you know re-atomize her outfit and it'll be the costume that's been alluded to in the teaser posters and in this particular episode with the vision. We'll we'll see where it goes. If I see it and look at the enhanced version of the silhouette mindstone vision, I would say it appears to be a physical object, not a yeah, light yeah, I agree. construct. I also, what you brought up Dayspring about the the posters and the, the kind of like the TV screen, I always thought that was so interesting that like, you know, when you look at how they're showing their outfits, you the main thing I see is the gloves. And the fact that she's in like a suit based outfit, I think that's really interesting. I'm oh, super, I, I think it's those be... were just like dishwashing gloves <laughs> on the poster. <laughs> they, they just happened look... to be pink or purple, whatever the color is. <laughs> But here's a question I have, and since we have you here, Geeky JP, and you do mm -hmm. deep cuts, and I'm obsessed, do we think the people who come out of the hex, are they going to be empowered in some way, shape, or form? I believe that is unique to Monica and her heroism and charging back in and out of the hex multiple times. I think sort of the normal people will just remain it would be so awkward, I think, if all mutants hail from New Jersey, for example. That would be I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here for it. The Garden State, Krakoa. <laughs> but here's the thing. Okay, because they mentioned that she went through it a couple of times, and that's what I didn't quite get, because she went in and then she came out, which is what everyone's going to have to go through. They went in and they came out. And when she came out that first time, 
she did the x-rays and they were weird and they wanted to do it again, alluding to the fact that she had been changed. The missile that now is going to power white vision had the Wanda energy mm. tied to it. So, you know, I, I do agree, Monica, it's unique in that Monica went back in and that's why now she's photon and her powers manifested the way they did. But now are people going to be changed on some level after they leave or, you know, does it kind of fade with time? You know, like, Oh, you just got out of the hex, give it 10 days, go into a quarantine and, and you're good. Too I don't know. Quarantine. I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm with you, Geeky JP, though. Like if mutants come from New Jersey, I would be a little disappointed I wouldn't hate it, but it's I feel not like, the narrative I want. I feel like the ending isn't going to be like them coming out of the hex because it was like, again, it was like a forceful, like they were either thrown in or thrown or they had to escape out of the hex. I feel like um, that's what caused Monica to have the issue she did. I think this resolution with the hex will not cause that to the individuals in there. Um, although maybe to an extent, it won't make them have powers, but maybe there's some genetic lineage in them where like they're, kids or their offspring will have yeah. into powers and that might be cute uh, like a cute easter egg down the road like you know you see one of the characters from westview is like the parent or grandfather of a mutant or a, a superhero down the road in an, another movie yeah the other thing i wanted to mention with this episode is i love the west coast avengers <laughs> influence and the vision scarlet witch influences as well you know mm -hmm. with agatha being burned at the stake with wanda infiltrating the sword facility i ranted about this on instagram yet again today everyone just seemed to have thought that tom king's vision run was going to be the main source of influence for this <laughs> it, it makes me so angry to thank you it makes me so because with the exception of sparky there's nothing. And, mm -hmm. and someone was arguing with me on, on the DMs about it, saying, no, it's a tone. I'm like, the tone is nowhere near. The tone is horror movie. Yeah, it, it doesn't... I, I'll give you Vision is wearing a sweater. That is the only thing I'll give you. <laughs> but then, then you have to say Civil War is inspired by this specific run. And I just think it robs us of the source material. But I'm also going to be kind about it because I was watching an interview with Kevin Feige and he also mentioned the Tom King run. And I'm hmm. like, come on, Kevin, like, you know, better red hair, <laughs> red hair. Fine. Fair enough. A Wanda herring <laughs> astrophysicist. But I just, you know, I think those stories and I've gone back to reread them. Like I remember being a little day spring and seeing that scene with Wanda discovering vision's body and being traumatized by it. I was like, why Vision's dead like that? And for me, it was like seeing an actual body. I don't want to rob another reader from this experience by misdirecting them, by saying it's Tom King's Vision Run when it has nothing to do with it. And the source material is there. And thankfully now it's being elevated. I What I love a lot about the movies, and I actually had a very uh, a bit of an opposition to it towards the beginning, um, is the honoring of the source material, but not doing it verbatim to what the source material is. I, I love that a lot of the stories nowadays take bits and pieces, one that might be even fully like referencing kind of, you know, like a specific issue or a specific story, like, you know, from start to finish. But there's a lot of interpretations of where um, you can have a little bit more leniency in this narrative. You don't have to tell this story as straightforward. You know, the idea of like, Wanda and Vision having kids in New Jersey 
and the kids being puppets to Mephisto and all this stuff. You don't have to retell that story, but you can take elements of it and make it interesting and give it more um, kind of pizzazz, but also you can retcon out the details you don't want to have in there. So that way, you know, you don't get the messiness. You guys were talking about this, like where a lot of writers interpret the characters differently and it can sometimes be really jarring. And I think that the movies have that benefit where they can look, okay, what this person did was messed up. Let's yeah. not do that. Like, let's just, let's gloss over that part, shall well, we? Kevin Fahey is, is phenomenal. I love what he's done in honoring the source material. He keeps the narratives pretty straightforward and simple. Even the way he's handle, handling the multiverse, so much more better than the way they're handing, handling it over at DC. So, you know, it, it's it's fine. I'm just, you know, I, I think there's certain news sources out there that should know better where these stories are coming from. The second, Wanda and Vision moving to the suburbs, that's not Tom King because Wanda is only in it for like an issue. It's Vision and Scarlet Witch, volume two specifically, you know, and it's, you, you see other news sources not properly citing that. The other thing I wanted to talk about that I wish I had seen at the end with Catherine Hahn, I wish she had white streaks in her hair. Just mm. a little nod to Agatha because the outfit, everything looks great, but I would have liked to have seen some white streaks. Okay. Okay. Calling it right now so that we can, I can be the, the first one or at least somewhat right. Want, much like how she drains the youth out of people, Wanda's going to reverse that shit on her and then she's going <laughs> to get all white hair. I do wonder if we're going to watch her age. I, that would be, Okay. That would be amazing to kind of see that like as like a punishment towards her or like a rebuttal. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, that would play into the scene that we got at the beginning of this episode. I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought, Wanda, I, I thought Agatha is going to try to drain Wanda and get mm -hmm. that power. But yeah, that would parallel like the 2015 series where Wanda's magic drains her life force and she ages with each yeah. spell she casts. Yeah. And then Agatha comes back to life and goes to a nude beach. <laughs> which i mean katherine hahn totally would mm -hmm. it was a very straightforward episode so it's kind of just how much excitement we have for the last episode the supposed last episode too i think it's gonna be nine episodes we next week is gonna be the making of wandavision and then we're immediately moving into falcon and the winter soldier i don't see where they're gonna throw in a 10th episode i mean that's fine maybe you know we'll get two on one night but i think it's unlike i would i would prefer them to give us a three-hour finale like a like a movie yes. before yes. dividing it into two I thought that Mark Shankman had promised that the full runtime was six hours. So I am still banking on the hope that the last episode is like an hour and a half myself. Yeah, he did That's say about six hours. So. Yeah, and obviously that they moved they... it up to 46 minutes this week. So fingers crossed. Geeky JP, where can the fine folks at home find you? Um, for Instagram, I am at Geeky JP, and that's pretty much my primary social media nightfall where can the people at home find you with your recent reboot they can find me at rai rai cosmos on instagram twitter and my art station as well all right guys and that's this week's episode as always i am the uncanny nightfall and we'll see you guys next week paul yeah do you want to do you want to re re-record your ending why would i do you said the uncanny nightfall <laughs> no that's fine it's, it's okay. I, I, 